Hi everybody, this is Ben and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Ben's Week in Medical School. This is episode 39 and the end of week 44 of medical school. So I'm going to recap the week a little bit. And then since we are still in the thick of our cardiovascular system block, I want to talk about EKGs. This week is the start of a new segment that I'm trying out about choosing a medical specialty. So that'll happen toward the end. Let's get started. So it was a fairly chill week this week. It's called EKG week because we had about five hours of lecture on interpreting EKGs and learning the different conditions that can be um, revealed by looking at an EKG. Things like heart attacks and changes to rhythms of the heart. Uh, So I'm going to share some nuggets of info with you in a few minutes about EKGs. I went on another street run with the medicine, uh, street medicine Kalamazoo group and took on some new projects for the group too. So when we were out on our run, we saw a number of patients. Some of them were also clients of the needle exchange or the uh, syringe safety program. And that group has kind of taken us under their wing to help us um, navigate the different spaces that we are going to to meet the homeless population of Kalamazoo. And some of the patients that we saw were also exchanging their used hypodermic needles for new ones and other equipment that they would need to safely inject drugs. In other news, I'm also using my computer skills to help doctors in the street medicine group print out their prescription labels for medications they dispense to patients. So I've been enjoying playing around with a cool um, heat transfer label maker for the labels that we're going to put on pill bottles. And I'm also teaming up with one of my colleagues to make an orientation training module for new members of the Street Medicine Kalamazoo group to help get them up to speed. It focuses on the safety and etiquette of helping with the homeless population and also a topic called trauma-informed care. Trauma-informed care is a way to be intentional about creating safe spaces for patients who've had prior traumatic experiences in life or with healthcare providers and prevent a cycle of re-traumatization that can happen um, with this group. I got to perform my first ear exam out in the field under the instruction of one of my attending physicians during our street run. So I got to use the otoscope to peer at the patient's tympanic membrane or eardrum. I'm not so sure what I was looking for but I did get to see the actual eardrum, which was quite cool. It was perfect timing to get to try an ear exam because this week in school, we're actually learning all of the components of the um, H-E-E-N-T exam, which is an acronym for head, eyes, ears, nose, and throat. So I'll be much more expert next week when I do my next street run with Street Medicine Kalamazoo. EKG and ECG both mean the same thing, electrocardiogram. It was invented in 1903 by a man named Willem Eindhoven. 
So EKG has become, since 1903, a very accessible uh, tool, very accessible and portable tool to diagnose heart attacks, heart rhythm disturbances, and even structural problems or changes in the heart, like prior damage from a heart attack or the overgrowth of the heart. And while it seems like having a big heart should be okay, it's actually not good for you to have an excessively large heart. The heart is shaped like a football, more or less, and it's helpful to think about it that way when talking about an EKG. And it sits sort of in the middle of your chest, pointing down and to the left. As I mentioned last week, the heart makes its own, makes its own beat, sets its own pace, and that starts from the top of the heart and moves downward toward the bottom. So an EKG is set up by placing lots of electrodes onto the chest and the arms and legs, and then measuring all the current changes that happen as the electrical signal passes through the heart. Each of the electrodes reads the signal from a different perspective. The generally correct electrical signal should move from the middle of the chest, sort of at the top of your breastbone, down toward the left side of the chest, and it should flow in that direction in a healthy heart. And by looking at the signals in each of the electrodes, which are set up in different places in relationship to the heart, we can see whether the signal is following that that normal healthy pathway. I think it's cool to think about an EKG like if you were to have people standing around a puddle and then you were to drop a rock into the puddle and ask each of the people that are standing in a fixed place around the puddle to report when they see the waves from that pebble that you drop in the middle and then report when the waves got there, how big they are. This would be kind of like what's happening when we observe the activity of a heart in an EKG. Each of the different lines on an EKG is viewing the electrical activity in the heart from a slightly different angle. Some are more down and to the left, some are up and to the, up and to the right, uh, some are straight down. By watching the heart activity from these different angles, you can have a really good idea of whether there are any problems with the conduction of the signal through the heart. To use the lily, uh, the pond example, if there's a lily pad at one part of the puddle, people that are standing on the side of the puddle past the lily pad, they're going to see the waves differently than people who are standing in a part where there are no lily pads. The waves might be dampened or they might take longer to get to the, to the person on that side of the puddle. In an actual heart, what are the corollaries to this lily pad? For example, one is low oxygen in some of the muscles of the heart. If a part of the heart is um, under low oxygen, it might mean that the arteries that supply that part of the heart, the coronary arteries, are par partially blocked. They could be in an area of dead or dying heart muscle. After a heart attack, when the heart parts of the heart muscle have died, the EKG will be permanently changed. And there could also be blocks in the sort of superhighways of conduction through the heart. These are areas where the electrical signal flows extra fast to make sure that all the different parts of the heart contract with the right timing. So an analysis of an EKG depends on knowing the characteristic look that you should be seeing from the different perspectives uh, of each of the electrodes. Then linking changes 
that uh, are abnormal to different types of diagnoses. So EKGs are crucial for diagnosing heart attacks, and physicians call heart attacks myocardial infarctions. This means uh, infarction is a blockage, and myocardium is the name for all of the muscle that makes up the heart. Myocardial infarction is shortened to MI. A emergency room doctor that is examining someone who comes in for chest pain will be getting an EKG to rule out that the person is having an MI, a heart attack, a myocardial infarction. There are two different ways that a heart attack could show up on EKG. One is called a STEMI and one is called an N-STEMI. And it stands for ST elevation myocardial infarction or non-ST elevation myocardial infarction. The big difference is that the STEMI indicates more extensive acute damage to the heart and requires immediate treatment to um, open up some of the coronary arteries. And it's a big time emergency. As, the, as our clinical professor says, the sun does not rise and set on a STEMI, meaning these patients need to go to a comprehensive cardiac center immediately and and they'll wake up the cardiac interventionalist to get that blockage out of the artery immediately. An N-STEMI or a non-ST elevated myocardial infarction is something that could be controlled and fixed without this intervention of um, stenting the coronary arteries. It could be fixed with medication. That's one of the big deciding factors of the initial care of someone who comes to the emergency department with chest pain is are they having a STEMI, are they having an N-STEMI, or uh, is there some other cause for their chest pain? I haven't talked much about medical specialties that I'm interested in going into. Uh, There's definitely nothing decided in this area. I have some things that I've always thought I might be interested in, in practicing, some areas in which I'd like to practice. And then I'm also trying to really keep my options open so that if something really captures my imagination and my passion, that I can still change gears and go to that. At the end of my first year of medical school, which officially comes to a close at the end of our cardiovascular system block, I do have some front runners that I'm considering for my future career in medicine. And I'll talk about one today, which is family medicine. Family medicine most closely matches my view of what I idealize as a doctor. I like the idea of being able to see patients at all ages from birth to death and having long-term relationships with patients and families. One of the things that's great about this style of medicine is being able to develop trust between myself and my patients and knowing my patients' stories in more of a biographical sense than just a snapshot. I've always felt wary of jobs where my where my position is like a swappable part in a machine. I think that family medicine is the most completely opposite of that that you may be able to have as a doctor. One of the things that people talk about is the scope of practice of a, of a specialty. And family medicine has a wide scope of practice. I've always been drawn to that wide scope of practice because I have diverse interests and talents, and I would like to be able to use a multidisciplinary skill set. So in family medicine, 
this wide scope of practice, first of all, is age-related. So you might have infant or child patients, and you might have elderly patients and everybody in between. And then additionally, it's what interventions am I able to take for my patients so some examples of, of things that family medicine doctors do, um, you can take biopsies uh, of skin to check for cancer. Stitching up cuts, lacerations is really common. A lot of family medicine doctors actually deliver babies. I could splint an arm or take x-rays of it. And there's tons of physical exam techniques that are also available and useful for family care physicians. These include some pretty high-tech ones, like looking at the heart or kidneys with ultrasound devices, which are getting so sophisticated and portable that you actually um, can fit them in your pocket along with an iPad or an iPhone now. And also performing and interpreting EKGs and x-rays. Family medicine does have a lot of interest for me. One of the things that has made me feel even more excited about that specialty is one of the doctors who runs the street medicine group. She's a family medicine doc, and she's really shown me that there isn't just one way to be a family medicine doctor. You don't just have to work for a big health system in order to have a successful practice. You can do some things on your own, and you can kind of forge your own practice and retain your autonomy to change and improve your practice as you learn more about what works for your patients. From family medicine, you can also subspecialize in a few different fields. One that I'm interested in is hospice and palliative care, but you can also study uh, sports medicine and I believe obstetrics. You can study adolescent medicine, pain medicine, geriatric medicine, and sleep medicine as well. So there are a lot of interesting areas and I think there's also opportunity for creating my own practice as a family medicine doctor. One of the new ideas, maybe it's not exactly that new, but it's a recycling of an old idea, is called direct primary care. And this means primary care that bypasses insurance companies. So the way this works is patients pay a fixed fee every month for complete access to their primary care physician. And then if there are, um, depending on what services need to be done during a visit, they have also fixed costs for those services. These fees are actually pretty reasonable. So what this means is to see the doctor, you don't pay anything beyond the monthly fee, which could be between 50 and $100 a month. To order lab tests, um, each lab test has its own cost, which can be much lower than what the insurance companies will have them cost because you can, as a physician, you can set up specific agreements with different labs or run some of the tests in-house. So things like a normal blood lab series might cost $25. An x-ray of your arm could cost $30. And then all of the initial visits and follow-up visits are covered under the blanket of that $50 to $100 a month. So it's a really interesting model because everybody is sick of having to deal with insurance companies. 
I'm not sure the exact numbers, but there's a huge amount of cost that goes into just figuring out how to bill to the insurance company for every patient encounter that a physician has. So at a hospital, you'll have teams of people that just work in the billing section. That's what the whole career of a medical coder is, is figuring out the appropriate medical insurance codes for how to bill for someone's hospital stay. Um, and I'm not knocking that career at all. It's It shows that it's a very complex system, especially for a smaller physician practice, if you could somehow avoid the need for having to enter into that system. You could spend a lot more time and effort on providing good care instead of uh, thinking about exactly what insurance codes you're able to apply to a, a specific in encounter. Anyway, that's all I've got about um, family medicine right now. So the big keys to it that are interesting are a wide scope of practice, being able to care for patients through the duration of their lifetime, and having long-term relationships with patients, and being able to perhaps start my own model of of care and my own practice, which might be more fulfilling than working in, in a hospital system or a big healthcare system. All right, that's all I've got for today. We talked about a, we a recap of the week and I am still learning about how to interpret EKG readings. And I talked about the first of my specialty of interest series. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to David Funkhauser for our intro and outro music. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me. My email address is ben at bensweek.com. Have a great week.